Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We can all say that today. And the only way we can truly love right is to be able to have His love in us. Let me say before we read our scripture for today that I'm very sorry for all of those that have lost loved ones during this time of COVID and we've not been able to have the appropriate service for your loved one. For a child of God that's lived a right kind of a life, it's the last thing we can do for them and for you as the family members. And for many, it's been very difficult. Um, some just graveside only. Um, some are just so limited. Um, the reason we did this today was the Nunley family asked because of the Daniels family, some of Sister Linda's family, a couple of pews of them back here, I think, from Delaware, Pennsylvania, Maryland. They were not able to come. COVID was so bad here and so bad in other areas. So it's, as a pastor, it's very hard because you want to try to comfort people as much as you can during that time, and it's so limited. Many of the people that's been in the hospital, I've not been able to even go see them. Many of them that I know of around the world have died, as we would say, alone. No one there to hold their hand, no one there to help them. But I'm so glad when the pastor can't get there, Jesus can. Amen. So for all those of you that have been affected by this terrible time, I certainly say I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry about it. And we certainly loved Brother Daniel, and I don't want to just say loved, but I want to say we still love Brother Daniel. Because the Lord Jesus, whenever he was here, he addressed a very peculiar thing. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection because they thought it could not be proven by the Old Testament. The Pharisees, the Essenes, many of them did. So the Lord Jesus addressed this straight on in a, in, in a peculiar way. He said, have you not read that God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You think, what a way to deal with the resurrection. Oh, but you see, he was God. So he knew that he was not the God of the dead. And he goes on to say that he is the God of the living and not the God of the dead. So had they been dead, annihilated, done away with, then God would have never proclaimed himself to be their God. But he said, they're not dead. They're alive. As a matter of fact, whenever God spoke that to Moses, Abraham had been dead about 300 years. And yet God tells Moses that as if though Abraham was still alive. Because he was. In another world. Remember in Exodus, whenever God said, I will give this land. The promise that he reiterated that he made to Abraham. I will give this land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In those scriptures, he did not say their seed, but to them. Amen. You know when they'll get it? The millennium. Abraham never got that land. Isaac never got it. Jacob never got it. But God said, they're going to get it. When will they get it? In the millennium. My God keeps his promises. God bless you, saints. Let's turn together today, if you would, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 22. I read this week where the prophet said that God would bankrupt heaven 
before he let one promise fail. So our God never makes a promise that he cannot bring to pass. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, and we'll read verse 23 as well, and then Ephesians chapter 2, 10. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. Now, all of these members that have passed from us in the last um, several years, they were part of the mystical body, but also part of our body. That's why our hearts hurt whenever we see pictures of them, of course, and memories of them. But we're so grateful that they're not gone, they're not forgotten. Notice Paul says, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, as we have sat here today and our minds have gone back to different ones that are already crossed over into that land. We're so grateful, Father, that you have made a way. We're glad to know today they are not dead. They are alive. Whenever Elisha smote that water that day, and he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? He was not asking for a God that had a fulfilled his word to a prophet and that prophet had lived his life and now he's gone and there's no more of him. He still addressed him as the Lord God of Elijah. And we're glad that we can say today, the God of our loved ones, our forefathers, he still kept them alive. Lord Jesus, we ask today that you would help us. Father, you say I have several prayer clause in my hand that I'll preach with today. You know, all these needs, dear God, some of them so serious and pressing. I pray that you'd be mindful. Help us today as we endeavor to look into your word. Speak to us, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Oh, how blessed we are to be a part of the body of Christ. For every member that is truly born again, that has a new nature, that has been changed by the power of God, there's not enough money in the world to be able to buy that position in Christ. And there's not enough demons out of hell to take it from you if God ordained for you to have it. And it's, it's something that is so misunderstood, so misrepresented by modern theologians. And yet we know it does not by any means take away from the great value of what the Lord God wanted his people to have. It was part of the mystery, secret, which was in his mind, in the back part of his mind before the world ever began. That was for himself to be tangible, be on the earth in human form, not only once, but once and then reappear again. And actually, in his finale 
of the glory of God that in this human glorified body that we know as the Lord Jesus, he would rule through the ages in the eternal times that are to come. And yet also another part of that mystery was that he would have a church. I know for us Western people, the term church is so abused, so, uh, so mislabeled in reality. And people say, oh, church, I know people that go to church and this and that, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what the Lord Jesus identified as his church. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's not even every building that you passed by this morning that had the name, whatever it was, church over it. There's thousands, times thousands in our neighborhoods and our vicinities where we live and it has this church and that church and another church and another church. So the word church can be used so loosely. But when I address you today as the people of God, I'm not speaking of the term church in the form of the ecumenical term, nor am I making reference to the term that is so abused and so, my, so misused down through time. But I'm referring to those that are actually in Christ Jesus. I mean, no, there's only one way that we can get there, and that is not by shaking the preacher's hand. That is not by a confession, oh, well, I believe this and I believe that, but through death and resurrection and to be buried in a watery grave in the name of the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. For everyone that are sitting here today and those that will stream this service around the world, if you are there in him, you ought to be one of the happiest people on the face of the earth. Notice Paul in addressing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, he says, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. So God has positionally placed in the mystical body, by that I say, the body of Christ around the world. And then God is also placed in the natural local assemblies around the world as it has also pleased him. The members of the natural body are the epitome or the antitype of what God has done in the spiritual body. So God gave us the ability to hear, the ability to speak, the ability to take materials inside of our hands and take a stack of lumber and transform that into a building or a pulpit or a handrail or an organ or a piano to take something of raw material with our intelligence and by machinery and our hands and change it into something that is absolutely remarkable and beautiful. So God has taken the members of the body 
And we would never try to build, say, something like this pulpit, which is made out of wood, and take a router bit, which this one here is a Roman OG, about 530 seconds, something like that. This one here is a different route. This one's made a little bit different. Each one of them to produce a different shape. And it takes a different tool. Now, the top part of this was made with a very wide cut bit. You could not take a Roman OG and be able to make this, nor could you make this one, nor could you take the dental mold on the side. But each one has to have a particular bit. And it has to have even according to the size of the cut. It might have to have a bigger horsepower motor to make a deeper, more precise cut on a piece of wood like this. And yet, you can take a small one. I've got a little bitty handheld router that I use for many small things and takes a very, very tiny bit, but I'm able to hold it with one hand alone but it would almost burn that router up to try to make such a cut. It could not make such a cut as this one is because it's too deep. So a man will take the instruments in his hands and he will be able, once he understands what they're for, and then he can be able to take those tools and turn a piece of wood into something like this. And God places in the body those instruments by which he himself can take one in one hand. I've got another router which is much stronger, more powerful. I would risk my hand, my arm, whatever more to try to take that router in one hand. I've got a jet propulsion type that I'm able to put great big bits on the, on the inside of them and cut them. And they are so strong and so powerful. You better watch what you're doing. So each one of them are designed for a certain power output. And so is it in the body of God that God places some in the body. And in there, their element of what they will ever do for God may never amount to what the world would say. Oh, that person. They're really nobody. They don't sing. They don't preach. They don't do anything at all. But yet God has placed them in the body as it pleases him. And whenever we're able to find that position of what the Lord wanted us to be, as we saw Brother Daniel and on the little video clips, and there's many, many more, to where he would get up and pray and pray over the prayer request. And others might say, well, I can never do that. Well, you're not called to do it. But yet those who are called, they're given the ability, they're given the favor, and God blends them into the body. Now, no matter how hard we'd ever try, and we could ask this brother and that one and the other brother, well, come and take Brother Daniel's place. Well, that's totally impossible. Nobody will ever be able to replace Brother Daniel. Nobody will ever be able to replace Brother Jim Babs, Sister Naomi Daly, your mother, your father, your husband, all of those of you that have lost loved ones. They'll never be able to replace them even inside of your heart. And they hold that special place. But yet we know that God intends for each of us to find our position. And according to the ability that God gives us, and God will orchestrate our life. And the, the analogy of the bits that I spoke to you about, if you will take that bit by which it is rated, and you will put that bit inside of a machine that is not rated over 
the temperament of that particular type of a metal. Now you buy a cheap router bit and you try to burn it up on something like hickory or something on red oak or something on a piece of oak that's been on the side of a barn for about 75 or 100 years, you're gonna burn it up. You're gonna turn it blue, it's gonna turn black, and it's gonna start smoking. But you take a carbide bit or a bit that is tempered for high and hard wood, then what you can do, that bit is actually made for that way. So if we try to put ourselves into another person's position, we will just burn up and we'll only mess up the wood. And how do I know that? Because I've messed up wood before. And you take it and you run it across the wood and you try to make the bit do what it's not supposed to do. And when you do, you'll have burn spots. And then you've got to sand and sand and sand and try to remove the marks that you made because you were using a tool that was not tempered, that was not made, and was not designed to do that. Oh, if every one of us could get into our spot in the body of Christ and and not be jealous of this man or that man or that woman or that boy or girl, but just be what God has made us to be. My, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if every member of the body of Christ would find that you believe what you wish to? I believe those who go in the rapture will be that category of people. I don't think there's any room for jealousy in the body of Christ. Really, there should be no room for jealousy in the ministry. There should be no room for in the singing or the musicians or deacons or trustees or whatever it is, Sunday school teachers, laity, for such a petty thing as jealousy. Jealousy is such a small thing. Jealousy should be beneath us as the children of God and as the people of God, that if God places them in the body and God will do it according to his own divine wisdom and God will place people that will always be above us no matter how great you are no matter what, how wonderful you can do your job and you look around there will always be somebody that will be a little bit higher than you and you will always look around and maybe find someone that's a little bit beneath you so Paul said they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise so what do we do we find our position and we're just grateful God put us in the body and we rejoice. You see, diversity of the way that God places us in the body. Diversity does not suggest inferiority. Diversity, even in the types of gifts that God places in the body, does not mean that this man that has a lesser gift or a lesser ability, or this woman, that they are inferior to a person who has a greater. God is the one who gives all the gifts anyway. So if God gives a greater gift to another person, that simply means God in endows them with an ability that will further help the body than maybe someone else does. It doesn't mean they're a greater person than you. It does not mean that God loves them more than he loves you. It simply means God chose and he places them in the body as it pleases him. And we all know that the way God does this, that God does not even ask us if it's okay which gift he gives us. So God gives us, and actually when we come to the earth, we're born with these things 
things in us and God doesn't even say. Now can you imagine God called me whenever I was a little boy to preach a young boy to be able to preach the word. There was five different aspects of the ministry that I could have entered into. An apostle, apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher and God never even asked me which one I wanted. Now think of that. God never even asked these singers, how, do you want to have a great ability to sing, a lesser ability to sing? I want to let you play the piano. Do you want to be a concert pianist? Do you want to be one that'll just be used on the occasion? But God gives you the ability and he wants you to take that and do everything you can do with it and use it to the honor and the glory of God. Why? Because he places it in the body as it has pleased him. And if we would look at it with this way. God consulted none of us. God asked none of us. How, how, how do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? But he just disperses his gifts in the body and he places them the way he wants them. I, I think he's a mighty God by doing it that way, don't you? Well, there's no telling what in the world we would all be if God would have asked all of us. Well, how do you want him? What do you want to do? And some people would always been wanting to be better and be more advanced and all than the others, so God just disperses Verses them, how it pleases him in the body. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 19. And if they were all one member, where were the body? So if they were all just one, so the entire body is made up just out of one person. Now we know we have people like this, we hate to say it, but yet they feel like everything should go around them. Everything should be around them and their personal choice and their personal likes and dislikes. Well, I'm sorry, that's not the way it works in the body. Now my eyes are very important, but they cannot replace my heart. There's certain things in my body I could live without. Is that right? Certain things in your body you could live without. But there are certain things I cannot live without. And if you take them out of me, I will die. And God places that even in the, the anatomy of the human body that there are certain things that we could live without. God forbid any of us would lose our eyes. But we could live without our eyes. If we lost our hands and our feet, we could live without our hands and our feet, but there's certain parts of our body that we absolutely cannot live without. And this is where there's some people say, well, I just don't feel important. I don't feel as important. I don't feel as needed as so-and-so. Well, you know, really all we have to do is just go back to him who placed us in the body and say, Father, if you place me in that place that I want to be grateful and I want to be happy and I may never be as important as so-and-so. I may never have the value of so-and-so, but I do have value because you place me in the body. And friend, whether or not you like it, God's always had it that way, and there's nobody can take your place. There may be people more important, as we would say, and more would depend upon them going in the body, but nobody can replace you. Notice this in verse 20, Paul says, but now they are many members, yet but one body. And this was something that was so relevant that Paul felt like that he must deal with that he addressed it in the book of Romans as well, chapter 12, verse four. For as we have many members in one body, and all members 
have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members of one another. Now listen to this. So every member inside the body of Christ is actually a member of one another. Now here we are today. Individually we are baptized by the Holy Ghost into the body of Christ, but we're baptized into a collective move. So not one individual can truthfully say today, I am the body of Christ. Now a lot of folks think they are. They think they are the body. They think they are it. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news today, but you are not the body by yourself. You are only one small member that God placed in the body, and we need you, and you need us as well. That's right. Notice in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, what a peculiar analogy that Paul uses here. For we being many are one bread. Now notice how he likens this to bread. For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Now as bread consists of many grains which have been ground and kneaded together to make uh, whatever type of bread that you like, then Paul takes this similarity and he likens the spiritual mystical body of Christ the same way. So then of course they would take the bread and they would take the grains and the raw form, take it down to the miller and the miller would have great big gigantic stones. I stood in Israel a couple of years ago and saw some of the ancient millstones that they had dug up in Capernaum and some of the different places and they were very very crude so they would have angles and they would take a file or some sort of tool and they would run those like this so far apart four to five inches apart and then they would put the grain down inside of there and they would go around and around and around and around and they would break it up and break it up but their grain was very coarse when they got done they did not have the fine meals that we do today and they would put them together and Paul saw this as an analogy of the body of Christ that some were one size and some were another size because as they would come out of these type of meals and remember when they would make a fine offering of fine flour before the Lord they would have to take this to another type of a stone and it was very very fine flour this was the type that was offered on the sacrament of the altar of God so it would be more than just your normal average everyday meal, it would have to be taken where it was ground so fine. If you understand, that's the picture of the elect of God, even from the Old Testament. That the elect of God are ground in such a way that the modern, most church people would never be able to take the pressure of the grinding wheel that the elect of God are on. Because they're not ground with just regular wheels of the particular Christianity, but they are ground with the wheels of election. And they will be tried like no other people on the face of the earth. Are the others bread? Yes, they're bread, but they're very coarse. Very coarse bread. Now, I've eaten bread in some of the foreign countries that are made out of the same grain even this very day. It's so different than our type of bread, and yet it can be very, very coarse, and when you eat it, it can be very hard to digest because our bodies aren't used to doing it. And yet God said in this analogy through Paul that those of us that are actually baptized into the 
body. We have been made partakers of the bread of St. John 6. And Jesus said, I am that bread which came down from heaven. So by the bride eating the bread, she in turn becomes part of the bread for the age that she lives in. So then God would take the loaf of the bride. Now remember the, the, the bread of the shoe bread, the table was set before the presence of God and there was 12 loaves of shoe bread or the bread of his face or the bread of his presence as it was called. And it was made there 12 loaves and each one represented a tribe of the children of Israel. And it was set there from Sabbath to Sabbath. So it sat there in the presence of God. And then at the end of that, the priest would take the bread of his face and they would eat this bread and they would be partakers of the bread. But yet the bread represented the tribe of Zebulon, uh, Nephetai, all them different ones and they would have their identification with a loaf of bread. It was foreshadowing the bride coming in the New Testament and how she would be the bread of his face as well. And then Paul says that we being many are one bread, one body, for we are all partakers of the one bread. So we are bread, but we're partaking of bread as well. Aren't you glad you know where to get your bread? First yes, Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So here he takes the type again of the bride being made up and though she's black, white, red, yellow, African, Chinese, all different parts of the world that God places her, yet she's baptized into one collective unit. What is that unit? Well, it's not the Baptist church because we're not all Baptist. It's not the Methodist church. It's not the church of God. It's not actually any man-made system, but it is the mystical body by which every one of us that have the Holy Ghost are baptized into. Now remember, it's more than saying, I accept Jesus as my Savior. That does not immerse you into the body. Amen. Amen. This is what the Bible says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Oh, you say, I got that when I accepted Jesus as my Savior, not according to the words you did. You see, Paul come up to those that had been taught under a great teacher, and he asked them one day, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now, they thought they got it when they believed, but Paul let them know, no, that ain't the way it worked. You actually get the Holy Ghost after you believe. Praise the Lord. Now, he says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So now, here we come again. Why is it that, you know, whenever we want to get together with friends and we say, let's go out and eat a meal together. Why say, won't you come over to the house and we'll eat? Why is it that we want to do that? I, I was texting a brother today from a state several, several states away from here, hundreds of miles, and he said he was coming over to visit such and such a time maybe, and I said, well, maybe we can go out and, and have a meal together. What is it about us that we want to do that? There's something about fellowship. You see, even Melchizedek wanted to do that with Abraham when he come down to see him. 
And Abraham, what did Abraham do when he saw the Lord and two angels come walking before him before the theophanic appearance of Melchizedek? He said, come in, my Lord. Come in, my Lord, and eat a little morsel of bread because there was something about eating and fellowship that placed you in a place. It was just a custom, and it still is, among the Bedouin people of this day, that if you go to their tents, and many of them still live in tents, and if you go to their tents, one of the first things they're gonna do is offer you something to drink and then something to eat because it's something about that fellowship of partaking of their friend. The Lord Jesus could give us nothing greater once we are in his body than to set a meal for us with the bread of this age. Now he's not gonna pull something out that's been molded and something that's 150 years old and try to put it in some type of spiritual microwave and zap the fire out of it and warm it up. Nope, he's gonna pray, oh praise God, he's gonna lay the fresh bread of the hour and then we as the people of God, what do we do? We, we respond to our host, which is the Lord Jesus, and we say thank you Lord for this bread. Thank you Lord for this bread. Thank you for this drink, Lord. And then we are eating on what? Not an old message that's molded over, but the light word drink of the hour, which is identified not only with you taking it in, but you becoming it and giving it back out to others. You see, the Lord don't want us to take the bread of life and just hoard it up, but he wants us to eat of that bread as John was there in the book of Revelation, of course, and he took the book, and it was the book that John saw that no one could take. No one in heaven, no one on the earth, no one was found worthy to take the book and loose the seven seals. And yet John sees Christ as it comes from the very heart of God. And after Christ takes the book, then John walks up and he said, give me the little book. And John typing the bride, what was the bride going to do? Going to take the book and eat the word and become the word. So as the world feasts on their things of the world and they feast on all their movies and all their music and all the nonsense of the world, what do they do? They become what they feed on. That's why you need to be careful about the entertainment you let your children get involved in because you'll watch them acting like who they see on their television. You'll watch them acting out the kind of characters so put the right ones in front of them. Well, you didn't like that, did you? Well, it's the truth. We will become what we eat, what you think about, what you really love, what you desire more than anything else in the world, that's really what your soul is. Oh, thank God. Notice Paul again in Ephesians 4, 4 says, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope, one hope of your calling. So whenever we're called by the Lord Jesus, our hope is not that I'll be the greatest, I'll be the biggest, I'll be the most famous, I'll be the most important. That's not our hope. We are called in the hope that we can please him with all of our hearts. Notice in Colossians 3.15. Oh, I love this. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body and be ye jealous. What? Be ye what? So notice he don't even say anything about the size or the value or how big you are or little you are, but be so thankful that you're called into one body. 
You know, as we look at the church at Corinth and we can see the division was a major problem inside the church at Corinth. Each person uh, followed its own human leader. Now, this was a focal point, of course, in the book of 1 Corinthians. And they exercised gifts very, very selfishly. And they cared little for the health and the ministry of the body. So the church at Corinth focused mainly on themselves. So the whole body, the Christian Corinthians, boy, they were a spiritual bunch now. I mean, they were a gifted bunch. As far as we know, my, the, the amount of gifts that they had must have outdone all the others. Whether it's because of the size of the church, we really don't know. But they really had some problems. But they perceived that because they were so gifted that this was God's approval upon their lives above all the rest of the brethren, which is not necessarily true. You see, a person can be very, very gifted and not have very much of the graces and the character of God that should also accompany a spiritual walk. So the Spirit of God in Paul wanted to see something accomplished inside these Corinthian Christians that they would not lay aside so much their gifts. He was not trying to sham them because they had tongues and interpretation and prophecy, but what Paul is wanting to correct about them is, is for them to take all of their gifts and realize the gifts are given not to themselves to make them so spiritual and feel so elevated above everyone else, but they would be able to take those gifts and edify the body. I, I think we've still got a few Corinthian Christians around us. You see, Paul in Ephesians 5.30 says it this way, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So the church is actually his bride. Now again, I'm talking about the born again, not just the, the term where you see everywhere around, especially in the Bible Belt church, but I'm talking about those that are in him. So the language of Genesis 2, 23 where Adam there by a revelation of God said she is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So Paul captures that and brings it from the Old Testament to the New and says those that are actually a part of the body of Christ. Now let me tell you before we go any farther that salvation and discipleship are two totally completely different things. Salvation is absolutely free. Costs you nothing. Absolutely free. You, have to, you don't have to pay one thing for it. All you do is accept what God already did. Discipleship is another story. Amen. Now remember the Lord Jesus called to him 12 disciples. And then the Lord in his commission to them disciples said, go and make other disciples after you. So now, well, mainly what a lot of Christianity, what they preach today and propagate is salvation alone. And they do not propagate the birth of discipleship in their church members. And that's why, of course, they will not take correction of the word. And they really don't want nobody telling them how to live. They can't go here. They can't go there. They can't do this and can't do that because all they're interested in is being saved saved from hell. Well, praise the Lord. But I'm already saved from hell. I got saved a long time ago, but I want to know how to be a good disciple. 
I don't want to just be saved. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and I also want to make other disciples. I'm not just called to go around and get other people saved and that's it. Oh no, no, no. I'm called to help disciple other people. To bring them to a place of discipline to where they're able to find that the most important thing in their life is pleasing God. Not themselves, not their wife, not their mother, but pleasing the Lord Jesus. You see, on account of the the natural and the type of it, the natural marriage relation, in that a husband and wife become one union once they are joined together. Even so is it in the spiritual union. Now man and woman can go together for years and years, and if they do what they're supposed to do, and they're supposed to live the right kind of life, then of course they're not gonna come together while they're dating, while they're courting, but they will wait until they are married, and then the man will of course raise the vow on his bride's head, and the minister will say, you may now kiss your bride, and then they will consummate that that vows that they have made, that faithfulness and so on, they will consummate that by him and her becoming one flesh. Now, even though they stand there and say, will you promise to do so and so? Yes, I will. Do you promise? Yes, I will. They have not consummated that just by making those promises. Will you love him? I will. Will you obey him? I won't. I mean, I will. (laughs) Will you love her? Oh, I will. Will you do this? Oh, I will. Boy, them's easy words to say, ain't it? And then we all go have a, you know, a glass of punch and eat hot dogs and hamburgers and whatever we do, but it has not been consummated yet. My, they cut that big $500 cake and we're all smiling like I don't know what and we're taking pictures and we're doing all the rigmarole that goes along with it. They have not consummated it yet. Well, come on now. Many folks come to the Lord. Oh, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, but the wedding vows have not been consummated yet. Oh, I want to go to church. I want to do this. I want to do that. But it is not consummated, and you are not flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone until he comes inside of you himself. Not you receiving a doctrine, an ideology, but when the person of the Lord Jesus baptizing himself into your soul and seals your soul to the day of redemption. You are flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone, life of his life, power of his power. You are him. Oh my. You see, a person who really gets there, they understand things about God and his word and about Christianity that the average so-called Christian never embraces. And it's one of self-denial, self-crucifixion. The prophet says it this way, a person who lives their life for their self lives a selfish life. We must live for others. Bury you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And we've got to have a feeling for one another. And therefore, when you do all you know how to do, then when you lay down at night, well, you have the consolation knowing that you tried your best. I can't make everyone believe that's impossible. Jesus couldn't do that when he was on earth. And I know there'll be just a few that believes, but if anything I can add had helped the gospel, that's my duty of being here, is to try to help somebody along the way. 
Now, what you notice in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, the Lord Jesus then said, Jesus, unto his. Ah. Disciples. You see, this is the same English word that we use for discipline. Look at the word disciple. They're not party goers. They're not do what you want toers. They are disciples, which means they are disciplined. Praise the Lord. So the Lord Jesus said unto his disciples, not to everybody, okay? I realize this type of sermon ain't for everybody, but hopefully there's some disciples here today. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny his wife, his mother, his mother-in-law especially, his father-in-law, his cousins-in-laws, in-laws, outlaws, and everybody else, and let him favor himself, and let him do whatever he wants to do. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And everybody said, Amen. Now this is the prelude to this verse. There's a background to this verse. This verse is very powerful, but when you read the prelude to what led up to this, it makes it even more powerful. From that time, verse 21 of the same chapter, that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now look at Peter, old big mouth Peter. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. I'm glad this is written in the Bible. It helps some of us dummies believe there's hope for us. Peter was a good example for dummies headed for heaven. Can you imagine? You hear the Lord Jesus say these words and you pull Jesus off to the side and you go to rebuking Jesus. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Cause I say so. Oh, well. And who are you? Oh, he's gonna be the cussing naked preacher. That's who he's gonna be. I'm glad my hope ain't built on that. So then the Lord Jesus goes into this verse here about a man taking up his cross. And I want you to notice, we sing about it sometimes and you hear people talk about, oh, we've gotta take up the cross of Christ, the cross of Christ. Jesus identified this as your cross not his. He's done bore his. Notice his instructions. These aren't my words. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Let him deny himself. What, Brother Donnie, of what? Of whatever God demands. You see, some folks look at a cross and they think, well, it's because we've got Biden as a president and I've got to bear this cross. It's old age, oh, bearing this cross of old age. No, you got Adam to thank for that. 
when we identify the cross by many of those things which really are unavoidable. But in reality, your cross, they are not made of things, a compilation of things in your life that are unavoidable. But actually your cross will be one thing after another after another that is completely avoidable if you want to. In reality, I have no choice when it comes to old age. It don't seem like it's been that many years ago that I was a boy. I know some of y'all think, really? It don't seem like it's been that many years ago that I first come here and had dark hair. Oh my, what in the world's happened to all the rest of you folks sitting there getting gray-headed and all that? What's the matter? That's unavoidable. That is not a cross. Taxes are not a cross. But your cross will involve things that you can't avoid if you wish to. Boy, that brings it down, don't it? It's things that in reality, you could say, nope, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have that kind of attitude. I, I don't want to be like Jesus. I want to hold grudges and I want it. It's avoidable. But it's up to you. And that's when you take that cross upon yourself by choice. No, I can't help it. I, I just got to do it. It's my cross. No. Things that are totally placed upon us and unavoidable are not your cross. It's things that you and I look at and we say, I willingly embrace this. You see, the Lord Jesus chose to come here. No one made him. He chose to become a snake on a pole. Oh, you think you're humbling him whenever you say he was a sheep. No, you're not bringing him quite down yet to where he was. He wasn't just a sheep. He became a goat. He wasn't just the bread of God, but he became a curse in the eyes of God. Totally avoidable. Unless, of course, he wanted you so much that he must take it in order to redeem you. You see, to a real believer who is a disciple, their happiness is important. Their pleasures in life and things that they want to do. As a pastor and having dealt with many marriage problems over the years, in my own church and other churches as well, one of the culprits that I've found so many times is so prevalent is that of selfishness. Either selfishness on the side of the man or selfishness on the side of the woman or selfishness on both sides. Well, I I just think I ought to and I ought to and I I believe and I... And generally, it don't take me very long listening to them to see where the problem is. When really a marriage is going to be both of you giving up things. But it'll be worth it if you understand what the goal is. And you said the goal before you, well, I, my husband don't do this. But look, sister, you're not just doing what the Bible says towards your husband simply because he's your husband. You're doing it as unto Christ. You see, every person I talk to, 
I talk to people sometimes three hours, four hours in one setting. They may take one-tenth of what I say. And then again, in a short matter of time, they want another four-hour deal. And they may take one-fifth of what I have to say. So I learned something years ago. When I talk to you all, when I pray for you all, I'm not just doing it unto you. I'm doing it as unto the Lord. So if you don't take one word I say, I'm still going to be a winner because my attitude is as if, oh, it was Jesus himself right there in my office. You see, every man, every woman, every young person, if everything we do for the kingdom of God, we don't just do for Brother Jeremy, well, we do it for Brother Skip. I really don't like Brother Skip, but I'm gonna go ahead and do it anyhow. No, you need to change your attitude. You're doing it for as unto the Lord. You sing as unto the Lord. You preach as unto the Lord. What you do, you do as unto the Lord. You're a godly wife. Well, my husband will tell somebody if I ain't a good wife. Don't do it as unto him alone. Do it as unto the Lord Jesus. You'd be surprised how that'll totally transform your attitude. That way you see whenever you do what's right and they don't treat you right, you can still keep on doing it because you know Jesus will and there's a great big record book up there in the heavens and he knows exactly what you've done. You see the cross is the pain. in self-denial. The cross is the symbol of us, us doing our duty without a resentful attitude. And your cross may change from day to day. There's things that might be, you know, constantly on you of things you have to deny yourself, but there will be times it will change. And what will it be at? The cost, the cost will be you. Notice in Luke, Luke captures this too, Luke chapter nine, verse 23. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. When you look at the word cross in the New Testament, you find the words of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus spoke about your cross more than he did his own. It must be pretty important. Christ made the cross a necessary essential of discipleship. It's not an option. Well, if you want to be a cross-bearing Christian, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine too. It don't really matter to me. Nope. It is absolutely unavoidable to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Each of us must carry this cross. Yours, Brother Rob, may be one thing. Yours, Brother West, maybe another. You sisters, maybe another, but each of us. Oh, but Brother Donnie, help me, tell me what mine is. I'm not sure I can. You have to go before the Lord and say, Lord, help me. If I've got to bear my cross daily, help me to find what it is so I can do it with the right attitude. Oh, notice Jesus said again in Matthew 16, 25, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake. So actually the losers are the only winners and those who think they're winners are the true losers. For those who, well, this is mine. I ain't giving this up. No, nobody's taking that. I want that. 
Those are the real losers. But those who are freely giving up their life every day for the cause of Christ, they are the real winners. How many wants to bear your cross? You see, only the self-sacrificing disciple can truly find his life. Friends, don't you understand that every mortal that his senses about him on the earth today is in a conquest. Every one of you here are in a conquest. You're in a search. Everyone's streaming the service and are archiving. They're in a search. And they're in a search for who they are. And what they want to be. Some, some think they want to be in computer science. Some think they want to be a doctor. They want to be a nurse. They want to be this or that. And well, I, I want to serve people. And some of them start out that way. And then it turns into what? More and more money and more of this. And then they lose the attitude of servitude. And all it's about is just a bigger paycheck. Is that right? Some start out even preaching. And they oh, I want to help people. I want to help people. And then it turns out that it becomes the focus of themselves instead of the people they're sent to help. What is the cost of following the Lord Jesus? You see, he never watered down the requirements of being his disciples. It's this age that has done that. And really, it seemed the Lord Jesus in the Gospels that he emphasized the sufferings for him and the things people would go through on behalf of the kingdom of God more so than he did the rewards. What could he have told us about heaven, Harry? What could he have told us about the world that is to come? And he said, so little. But he said, you'll be hated, you'll be despised. They'll cast your name out as evil. They'll do this and this and this. And if a person had a compilation of scriptures of all of it run together, of all the things you're gonna go through and what he mentioned about the rewards, you'll be surprised how much that that outweighs the other. But to the real people of God, it don't hinder them at all. To a person who's just concerned about the easy way in, hey, you know what, I don't wanna go to hell, so I accept the Lord Jesus as my savior. But Jesus, leave me alone. I still wanna smoke my dope. I still want to drink alcohol. I want to live any way I want to live. I want to go out and dance on Saturday night and then come in church and sit there and do my church business and I don't want no preacher telling me how to do it. So leave me alone you preacher. Leave me alone. Stay out of my life but I don't want to go to hell. Well you're not a disciple. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. Oh my. Let me, let me wind up here shortly. Each day I want to live not for myself the prophet says. If I live for myself, I live a selfish life. I want to live for others and give what strength I have, not to myself and to my own pleasure, but for the benefit of others that'll build the kingdom of God. Then, my brother, sister, when we can truly say, Oh, I'm saved. I've got eternal life. I'm going to heaven. How many folks have you heard say lately, I'm a disciple of Christ? I am disciplined to his word. I take up my cross and I bear it daily. Not taxes, not old age. The cross that you could avoid. You could avoid. 
No doubt many of you know exactly what I'm talking about because things that God has demanded of your life and others look at you and say, why do you do that? Why do you do it? Don't you think, friend, every God called man, oh, what about the prophet of God? He could have chose the easier way. Remember the prophecy when he spoke in tongues in French and was interpreted, you chose the harder way. What was it? The cross. The harder way that he chose. And then he said, you chose the harder way, but it is my way. But you see, God don't make us go his way. He lays his way there. And the disciples that are disciplined to eternal life, they look at it and say, I choose that way. Others look at it and say, well, here's all these doors. You know, we've got Buddhism, we've got Shintoism, we've got Taoism, we've got all these denominational things. And every one of them, according to the modern theologians of the day and the most modern people, they believe every one of them lead to heaven. So you go to, you're a Buddhist, we go to heaven. You're a Taoist, you go to heaven. You're a Shinto, you go to heaven. So they all wind up going to heaven. I'm not sure who told you that lie, but it is a lie. There's only one way to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. And you come by his way, and you bear his name, and you get his spirit. But the undisciplined way is, oh, well, we're all going to heaven anyway. Well, you know as well as I do, people can live like they want to live and they get the preachers up there and they preach and every one of them into the gates. If that's the way heaven's going to be, I don't even want to be there. Well, before long, it'll be like Bourbon Street down in New Orleans. It'll be like Chicago. It'll be like all the rest of these places, the red light district in Johnson City. If that's what it's going to be, just let me burn up. I don't even want to go there. But my God has not prepared a place where there's going to be such filth. Praise the Lord. Now, I'll tell you one way that we can really honor these loved ones, Brother Daniel included. It's not really enough to say, oh, I loved them, I admired them, I didn't cry tears. And that's, that's good. That's showing your human emotion. If you want to go where they are, you've got to walk the walk they walked. Got to get on that path that led them there. I'm sure you heard it as I was listening to it back there in my office with the speaker up. To the first time, the first one that they played, or Brother Daniel praying, and then the second one. And the second one, he was, <gasps> What was that? Brother Daniel's cross? Old age. Things in his body. Things that's inevitable for many of us that we'll deal with. What did he do? Was it embarrassing to him? No doubt it was. No doubt it felt humiliating to him. But he was able to do it as long as he was able to do it. He wanted to do it. Thank God. Are you willing to take up your cross? Or are you going to be like the Catholic was on Lent that was going to give up chocolate? Because she never did like chocolate anyway. It'd be like me saying, I'm going to give up eating broccoli for the rest of my life. Right. Now, see, those of you that ain't laughing don't know that broccoli situation. But for these folks that are laughing, they know I can live every day of my life and the rest of my life for eternity and never look a broccoli spear in the eye and say, I miss you. So we want to give up that. Oh, sure, I can give up that. I can give up. No. He don't want them things. 
He don't want you to be able to give up cauliflower and you hate it. He don't want you to give up broccoli and you don't like it. But he wants the thing that you hold so dear. But will he take it? Will he take it? I don't know. But he wanted Abraham to be willing. And sometimes if you're just willing, that's good enough for him. You settle the question right there. Are we willing today to be disciples? Disciplined by his word. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, as we bow our heads to the dust of the earth today, we are all affected by the footprints we see in front of us. Those footprints on the sands of time. Nero made them. Nebuchadnezzar. Pharaoh. Alexander the Great. Tertullian. Herodotus. There's many a footprint on this sand of time. Some led to licentious living, rebellion against God. But others went the straight and narrow path. All of us here today are affected, some way or another, by the people who've made these footprints. Lord Jesus, I pray you'd help me and these people today. It's not always easy sorting through these footprints. Because you yourself come to the earth one day and you didn't leave footprints of a theophany, but you left footprints of a man. Help me to sort through the historians, the philosophers, the politicians, the great people so-called. Help me to find those blood-filled footprints. Help me, Lord Jesus, Though this may not be and will not be the easier way. But it will be your way. Help each person here today to realize they not only want salvation. They want discipleship. They want to be called a disciple of Jesus. They are disciplined to his teaching. Disciplined to his word. Disciplined to his will. How many young men and women have stood up on this platform over the years and I performed their vows? And she walks up here with her maiden name, whatever it is. And through a simple ceremony, her name is changed. And she walks off of here taking the name of her bridegroom. All of her life, 15 years, 20, 25, 30, whatever it was, she was known by that name. That maiden name, her birth name. But once she got married to that man, she took on his name. Oh, Lord God, help us to realize that's only a symbol. We live our lives selfishly because we're born selfish. We were born of selfish parents. Introduced to sin by our selfish original parent, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. But there's one way we can really come to that spot of a new birth, and that is we must become one with you. We may walk up and our name might be Baptist or Methodist or Church of God or Jones or Brown or Reagan or whatever more, 
But if we're really baptized into Christ Jesus, hallelujah, and he lifts the veil off of our face and he plants that kiss of predestination upon us, then we walk off of there arm in arm with the Lord Jesus going on our honeymoon, praise God, to a millennium. Oh, Jesus, maybe there's some here today. They're saved, yes. They're saved. They've accepted you as Savior. Maybe they've been saved for years, but they've never really entered into a place of discipleship, which can only come by discipline, true discipline of the Word. I pray you'd help each of us. Lord, may they realize we never actually get to a spot that discipleship ever stops. It stops when we take our last breath. We're still learning. We're still being taught. Still growing. Granted, I pray, Lord. With every head bowed today, I wonder how many here today would like to be remembered. You want to be a disciple. How many wants to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus? Men, women, boys, girls, a disciple. Remember, it was the disciples that he told the secret things to. It was the disciples that were in tune of the special teachings that the rest of them only heard parables. It was the disciples that he included. It was the disciples only in St. John 17. Even Judas Iscariot was not there then. Only disciples. I'll tell you who's going in the rapture, friends, in this day. Disciples. Who was it? It'll be the elect in the first age. Disciples. Second age. Disciples. Third age. On down. Disciples. Seventh age. Disciples. We become prisoners to our own selfish ambitions. Our own selfish desires. And we pick up our cross and follow him daily. I'm going to offer prayer for you. If you'd like to be remembered, would you just raise your hand before the Lord? God bless you. Hundreds, hundreds of hands. No doubt on the internet as well, those that are streaming, those that will go back and archive it, wherever you are in your car, your, your office, just open your heart there, brother. You in Africa, you in France, you in Sweden, People in France streaming us right now, right there. Your service is over. May the Spirit of God move on your heart, young man. That you don't want to just be a saved young man, but you want to be a disciple. A disciple. Lord Jesus, I pray for him today. I ask you that you touch every heart. Would you begin with me? Lord God, look at my life. See if there's anything about me, any part about me, Lord, that rebels against your discipline. Help me, Jesus. I truly want to be one of your disciples. I don't care about walking on water. I don't care about being famous, rich, important. None of that stuff. Let me be a disciple. One who's disciplined. Not just by the legalist aspect. Well, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't go here and you can't act that way and you can't, you can't. 
I want it to be by the power of your life that I'm disciplined from within. That it's not a bunch of cans and cannots and I have to go to church and I have to do this. I don't have to go to church. I love to go to church. I don't have to live right. I love to live right. I don't have to bear this cross. I love to carry it. If they could only recognize how many sermons you have made me preach. You put it before me. Oh, you didn't have a gun to my head. You put it before me. And I knew I had a choice. If I preach it, it'll cause all kinds of trouble. I'll be hated. I'll be this and that and the other. Or I can avoid it. I can just be a politician preacher. Just be easy and go around all the troublesome things. Lord God, help me no matter how old I get. Lord God, no matter how I think I can't take no more burdens, help me that I always choose your way. I want to be a disciple, Lord, even if I get as old as John was and we're told that John got down to about 90-something years old and he got so old he couldn't preach. And they just pat John by a cot and they lay him in the local assemblies. And John couldn't preach, but he'd just lay there in that cot and he'd raise his hands up and he'd say, Love one another, little children. Love one another. By this shall all men know you are his disciples. Praise God. We love you, Lord Jesus. Sing something for us. Harry, can we just worship a little bit before we go? Praise God. Maybe some of it's been a while since you've been bearing a cross. You might need to go back and see where you laid it down. It's got your name on it. You'll be able to find it, I promise. You'll never be happy, friends, until you do. It might be the reproach of dressing a certain way, acting a certain way. People laugh at you and ridicule you. It just embarrasses you so much. For some of you, that's where it's at. You're just so humiliated by the way you have to look and the way you have to dress. You could just never, never handle it. That's your cross. For some of you, that's your cross. Don't bear it with an attitude, but bear it with a surrendered heart. Can you imagine Jesus going up the way to Golgotha and said, this is, ma- this is making me so mad. I am so aggravated. This hurts. This hurts. This ain't right. I ain't never done nothing wrong. I ain't said nothing wrong. I gotta do this for Louis. He's sorry, old dirt bag. Wes is so low down and Donnie and oh. He didn't have that attitude, did he? But even when he gets up there, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he looks down upon them poor heathen Romans. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Help me to get on my cross and have such an attitude, brother. Now, what you want, Brother Louis? Is that why we want young brothers? things up, Mary. God bless you, saints. It's been good to be here today, hasn't it? There's a voice calling me.
Yes, Lord. To an old rugged tree. Yes, Lord God. And it whispers. Thank you, Father. Draw closer closer to me. Leave this world far behind. There are new heights to climb and a new place in me will find Lord whatever it takes to draw closer to you Lord that's what I'll be willing Whatever 
draw me close, closer, Lord, to you. Let the world around me, let it fade away. got several prayer requests. Some have come up in the front here and some we've heard by text and email of different sisters in our church, not only our church, but in other churches, that after having COVID, sisters and brothers, but mainly the sisters, so much of their hair has fallen out. We know what the Bible tells us about a woman's hair. I don't know about you, I'm sick of it. Amen, Maybe some of you have got other lingering effects from this devil. I hate this COVID devil. But I believe that our God is mindful of us today. I want you to join together with me in prayer. You sisters, I say that publicly, not to mention anyone's name, but just to let you know, when you comb your hair and you look at your comb and your brush and you see it, remember, you're not alone. You have another sister, other sisters around the world that are dealing with the same thing. And whenever you don't just pray for yourself, Remember, God turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, there's probably not a life here today that has not been affected by this, what scientists call COVID-19. That's only their scientific name. We know it's a devil out of hell. Dear God, we believe today that your power is the same as it's always been. You knew this thing would come upon the earth. You knew it would affect us in the way that it has. And Lord, it's like that devil's not happy once it makes people sick and they go through all kinds of things, but he wants to keep hanging on with coughs and lack of appetite and sense of taste and smell, and losing hair and this and that and the other. But we call the devil's bluff today. Amen. And we say that he is a liar. Amen. And our God is the king of truth. Amen. And we are the children of truth. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for your children around the world. I know this thing has been global, God, and I'm constantly hearing from people all around the world 
that have been touched by this and affected one way or another. But Lord, these side effects, these symptoms are still trying to hang on to your children. We're tired of it, Lord. (laughs) Hallelujah. We don't believe you're a part, God. We don't believe you're a part, healer. But you come to bring complete deliverance for the total man. Hallelujah. You don't do a halfway job, but you're a full-time God, a full-speed God, a full-miracle-working God. Father, I pray for your daughters here in our assembly. Several of them, Lord, in the last few weeks have come up for prayer. And I've heard from them, their husbands or whatever more in the form of text or email. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, whatever's going on inside their bodies that's causing this loss of hair, may the Spirit of God touch their bodies and turn it around, Lord. Make them well, we ask. In Jesus Christ's name. And we believe it. And we say... So has it been written, so shall it be done. Praise the Lord. Did you enjoy that this morning? Somebody say praise the Lord. You know, Brother Daniel was so good in recognizing special events and occasions that honored different uh, aspects of society. Uh, Veterans Day was this past Thursday, I believe it was. Is that right? And we just want to take this time. If you are a veteran, would you just lift your hand and hold it up? Real high so we can see it. Real, real high so we can see it. Let's give all of our veterans a nice hand this morning. Amen. You may have been a veteran in, in defense of your, our country, and we say that we certainly thank you. But, you know, we're in the Army all together now, and we're all veterans. We want to be disciples in this Army that we're in, don't we? Amen? Let's sing it this morning. I'm glad that you got to be here. Certainly appreciate our tribute to Brother Daniel this morning, what it meant. Visitors, God bless you. Come back and see us. We're glad to have every one of you. May the Lord bless you. Let's sing this, Brother Harry, as we get ready to leave Waymaker. Aren't you glad he is a way maker? Let's sing about it. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here.